The sacred writings of the Baha'i faith teach that music is a ladder for the soul. My name is Jack Gordon, and I'm host of Interfaith-ish. On this ongoing series of conversations that I'm calling Soul Ladder Music, I invite you to climb with me as we hear songs and stories from a diverse array of musicians who connect sound and spirit. Across this series, I've sought out artists who are not exclusively making music with overt spiritual themes or religious content. My guest this week, Mobley, is someone whose songs grabbed me from the very first time I heard them. And I reached out simply because I appreciated his point of view and wanted to know more about what inspired such well-crafted artistry. The Texas-based musician effortlessly blends rock, soul, and R&B in songs that are at once catchy, vulnerable, and political. So it came as no surprise that Mobley had a lot of ideas to share about his influences, his inspirations, and ultimately matters that affected both the spirit and our society as a whole. Enjoy my conversation with Mobley. Situations, dire people, did you change and find your people out of my entire people? Never spy and find people, never wonder why are people mystify and fire people. got this rep for being just unrelenting in your creative output in the production that you have touring constantly writing constantly and i just wanted to hear from you about what the fuel is behind that level of inspiration at least these days where does it come from for you if i had to guess uh i would say it's some combination of just the the kind of material reality of being a musician and 2023 um Mm. and then also living in um a society like the one that we live in um there is so much uh kind of isolation and alienation and there are so many um checks on the impulse to think 
broadly, deeply about things and and talk about them uh, as you see them. There are a lot of boundaries in terms of what is, um, you know, what what are what are what's polite, what's what can be discussed in polite company. What kind of ideas about um, the world are uh, are sufficiently realistic to be worth discussing on and on and on and on and um as someone who chafes against that i think um art is a is a good outlet for those kind of expressive energies yeah well it seems like whatever that creative force is that <laughs> that you're tapping into it seems like it's um it's been giving you a lot of fuel for the fire because i'm I, I mean i'm just incredibly impressed by you know the way in which you're not just crafting and producing music but you're also doing the artwork you're producing your own videos um i read a little bit about you're building your own mu instruments at times as well um so why is it why does it feel important to you to have this type of complete control over your art and the way that you're you're putting it out in the world i think it started as a a move of necessity um mm. so so when i very first started the band that ultimately became this project my aspiration was to contribute to songwriting and to play rhythm guitar and sing backup okay and we uh auditioned a bunch of singers and uh after a couple of weeks i was like i feel like i could probably teach myself to sing and, and i think i could be the singer uh-huh so i did that and then uh i tried producing records with a few producers and never really liked the way it came out and it was mm. like well, i feel like i could learn how to produce and i would like the way it came out yeah and learned how to produce and um and so on and so on and so on until ultimately uh I had more or less learned how to do everything <laughs> I needed to do. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the flip side of that being like the, you know, not having the money to, to hire a 10 person crew to shoot videos and on and on and on. Um, but then that, that necessity eventually turns to a kind of realization that while collaboration is great and I don't at all want to downplay the value of that as its own thing, there is a certain kind of cohesion and integrity that's possible when every aspect of the thing that is being experienced, the the artistic uh, work that's being experienced, is is integrated at a very deep level. So mm -hmm. I'm very much at a point now where um, when I'm writing a song. I'm thinking about what the production is going to be like. I'm thinking about what the video is going to be like. I'm thinking about what the light show is going to be like. I'm thinking about on and on and on and on a million things. And now for me, those all feel like part of the song as opposed to, oh, I have a song now. I have to figure out these 10 other things before I can perform it or or publish it or whatever. So, um, yeah, it's just become part of the process now that I really uh, enjoy when I'm not in the middle of it. <laughs> 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 well obviously the type of things that you're talking about you know uh, uh creating videos certainly um 
you know, just the work of, of getting out there as a musician requires a, a team. So, Grim. so, um, what is, what does collaboration look like, uh, for you and what is that, um, yeah, sort of what, how did, how does that carry out this, you know, unique vision that you have? I, I mean, it's, it's usually pretty, um, it's, it's usually pretty happenstance. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in just kind of going with my gut and, mm. and getting into a situation and trusting that I can figure it out. Um, I think probably the, the best, uh, illustration of that is a, a video I shot, um, last year, uh, for my song theme song. And mm. I, I kind of had an idea to like actually be really hands off on a video for, for once. I was like, I kind of want to just, have hire a director and and show up and and do what they want to do um and so i reached out to a director in austin and he was like i'm i love like the general concept you're bringing and i'd really love to do this but i'm going to be in um south africa when during the time that you you're available to shoot it and it's just like ah well we can work on something in the future and um He's like, well, why? Actually, why don't you just come? Why don't you just come to South Africa? <laughs> and, and I was immediately just like, no, there's no, no, there's no way I can do that. Um, and then after we hung up, I was driving, and I was thinking, well, when you became an artist, what did you hope you would be doing? Like, what did what kind of thing did right. you be doing with your life? And if right. it's not this, then what? What is it? It's it's traveling <laughs> halfway around the world to shoot your music videos. <laughs> right, right. So um, love it. So yeah. So I called him back and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And I bought a ticket. I bought a like a the a bunch of props uh, mm. and costume stuff that I knew I wanted to use, and then just went over there. And he was the only person I knew over there. Yeah, we ran around, found people some on the street some like friends of friends of friends and everybody there was super nice and helpful honestly i don't think i could have pulled that off in a in a city in the u.s uh i yeah. I, think, I think it's the kind of thing that i actually had to travel halfway across the world to, to be able to accomplish your songs what you're bringing to it in terms of the the production i gravitated towards it immediately i heard one of your songs and i said i want to check out what the rest of this guy's doing Thank and you. have not been disappointed the whole time and then finding out that you know you've done all the videos and everything really enjoyed immersing in your eye you know and really seeing how it is that you see the world do you feel like some of that sense of self-reliance comes from 
a childhood like you've had moving around a lot being in a lot of different places with your family yeah definitely i would say um you know always being the new kid and having to quickly learn the rules mm. of the game wherever you are and kind of um find a way to fit in and, and get along and then also just like being poor <laughs> like mm. you have to when you don't have money you just you have to come up with other solutions uh there's not yeah. another there's not a, another option and so i think there's a kind of um there's a kind of economical creativity that growing up the way i did um left me with that in, in good ways and bad ways like obviously um you know, like there's, there's merit to the like Pennywise pound stupid thing where if you don't have the money to do something, you do it in a, in a, in a less efficient, ultimately more expensive way. And I definitely mm -hmm. had to kind of break some of those patterns as I got, as I had the good fortune to get into a, a slightly more economically stable, um, position, but I would say like the underlying creativity and kind of belief that you can figure out a way to make a thing happen even if there's not a conventional path to the, the point that you're you're aiming for uh is is a really really big part of my artistry for sure when when do you feel like was the first time that you had a real spirit or soul connection to a piece of music I mean, it must have been when I was extremely young. My so my first instrument was um, the violin, and mm. I don't I don't remember this, but I was I've, I've been told that we were on a plane and there was some orchestral music playing, and I asked my parents, uh, I I was two, and I asked my parents what one of the instruments was, like what the, the instruments playing a specific part was, and yeah. And they were like, it's a violin. And it's like, okay, I wanna I wanna learn how to play the violin. <laughs> and um, so I started doing that when I was probably four or five. Mm. Um I'm good enough to play it in this room and only in this room because <laughs> I didn't I didn't really stick to it uh, <laughs> for for that long. I've I've I kind of had a wandering eye when it came to to musical instruments, but um I would say that and then you know it's very cliche but uh church music and then um like some of the records that my parents listened to the first the first record i knew all the lyrics to was um the james taylor album new moonshine hmm. um so yeah nothing I, nothing like nothing really interesting or, or avant-garde or anything like that but i mean i actually really love that album still but it's not it wasn't breaking any new ground or anything like that even the old folks never knew why they call it like they do i was wondering since the age of two down on copper line copper head copper feet Copper kettle sitting side by each Copper coil, copper Georgia peach Down on copper line Half a mile down to Morgan Creek Leaning heavy on the end of the creek Picky leads and a hog-nosed snake Down on copper line We were down on copper line 
you know, those records that touch us, you know, as being an important record in our family, right? Like that helps develop us somewhere, yeah. somewhere in there, even if it is in, you know, retrospect, like <laughs> a pretty mainstream type yeah. of album to go for. But tell me, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, the type of church music that you were listening to, or what was that spiritual formation like for you growing up? So it was, it was pretty diverse, actually. My, my parents are both from Georgia. And mm -hmm. so I, as a young child, I spent a lot of, well, I spent a lot of time in churches generally, but I spent a lot of time in churches, uh, in the South, uh, black churches in the South. So, um, in, in Georgia where in like rural Georgia, where my mother's from, the church we went to, they had this, um, there's a, this specific tradition of gospel music. That's very, um, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that applies to gospel music particularly, but if you are, if anyone listening is, is enough into gospel music to be aware that there's a million different types, um, it's, it's, it's highly, um, kind of communal and interactive mm -hmm. and, um, and improvisational and so like half the sermon would be sung um yeah and and like the you know the praise section of of the service would be like an hour or something like that right um so there was that and then uh when i was living in um when we were living in england we went to these churches that were predominantly um made up by and and led by um like various immigrants from various west african countries which the musical the kind of musical output of of those churches was very different from what i had experienced in the southern united states and then um you know more like mainstream evangelical like ccm type stuff um contemporary christian music type stuff uh in some of the the churches i went to later in childhood but I think the thing that um, the thing that really captivated me, other than the like uh, the stakes of praising God, felt very high to me as a child. Like I took the concept very seriously, and so the stakes seemed very awesome. high. So other than that, um, I think uh, the thing that really excited me was one day I was probably seven or something like the seven or eight. I started hearing things that people weren't singing like I so I would I didn't know what it was but I would hear something and it's like nobody's singing that I wonder if I could sing that and so I would sing it and then um ultimately it was it was harmony yeah, yeah I would sing yeah. it and then I would hear like my voice rubbing against the voice of the person next to me and it's like oh that's that's really exciting that, that you could do that <laughs> and um so then I'm sure I drove my family crazy for the next 10 years just like never singing the harmony of anything when we were singing, <laughs> I to, I never singing the melody I, yeah, always yeah. To, I always had to harmonize um so yeah it, it was actually really me like so many people it was really um it was really formative in terms of uh being a place where I got to early on experiment with um being musical you know because like in in U.S. society unlike many many other cultures and unlike i would imagine most of most of 
the cultures and societies in human history, there's not really a lot of like broadly communal, non-commercial outlets mm. for collective dancing, collective singing. Like that, you go right. other places in the world, and people just spontaneously start singing and dancing, and they all know this this dance, and like that just feels important and different from like paying fifty bucks to go to a concert or doing it right. A, a trend dance on TikTok or something like that, and not 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 denying the value of those things, but um, I think for a lot of people, church is really the only place where you get that, um, and so I think that's why it's it's probably I think that's probably why for so many musicians it's been a really formative uh, place. I am all a plate glass window. Looking through me every day In the night I'm a reflection You were, I was, you see, you saw, you say In my mirror light you're taller The summer sun has warped my pain If I brought you true perspective You'd close the blinds and leave me cold again Disaster, some uncommon tragedy. Don't you tell me it can't happen, cause once it does, the odds don't mean a thing. Though the answer are the holy, pilgrims come to kiss the ring. But the taste of gold to lose them is such a shame they came from all that way. What am I? Taste of Gold, I, I'd really love to hear a little bit about some of the story behind this song. Um, what were you thinking of and 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 what were some of the ideas that you're reflecting on in, in this song? I really love that song and I really, particularly the lyrics, I feel very proud of them. But like when I read them, it's it doesn't feel like I wrote them. It feels like, wow. it, feels like it just it's something that just happened. Um, you tuned into the radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, I think, you know, no, knowing what was happening in my life at the time, I think that I was, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing thing, but it's the, the kind of intensity of it has, has waned a lot, but I was having a lot of just, um, existential angst, dread, a lot of kind of feelings of inadequacy and and restlessness uh around um you know the question of you know the question that is is the 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 question at the the heart of the refrain of the song what am i here for um and i i come from a kind of uh religious and philosophical background upbringing where um, and I think this is common for a lot of p- 
people in the U.S., particularly people who uh, grow up as as Christians, but um, critical thought was definitely encouraged, and 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 thinking mm. was definitely encouraged. But there were there was also there were also questions where the answer was just so, and you didn't ask anything after the answer came. Mm. Mm. Um, and obviously like that question what am i here for nobody has nobody has an answer for that question um and and you shouldn't trust anybody who says they do <laughs> um, but uh but i think it was just um i think it was just cathartic for me to just answer ask the question like loudly and over and over and over again um mm. and then yeah. to and then to just express that um that uncertainty i never felt like i knew um, I still don't mm. feel like you no. Know. So there's there's the thing that a lot of people sit, will say that that's and it's become a cliche that I kind of dislike, but uh, of like, well, I'm not I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual or whatever. Right. And I don't identify with that exactly because the older I get, the more the more convinced I feel that the lines that demark boundaries between different areas of thought or life or or experience they're just they're things, they're just lines that we we've drawn they're, they're they're things that we impose on the world sometimes mm. they're very useful other times they're very harmful but mm -hmm. but like for example having having a distinction between um you know like empiricism which is itself drawn as kind of being either subordinate to or or um or or a relative of like science or scientific inquiry and then that being completely distinct from religious thought or inquiry and then mm -hmm. for many people that itself being distinct from philosophical thinking or political thinking and and increasingly i just find no value in and drawing lines between those things and and practically you know as somebody who has to live all those things at one time i find yeah. it much more useful to think about them all at one time and so mm. um i think that's another thing that i was trying to get at in the song um just you know all these things are one thing and and yes it's helpful to drill into to to them sometimes and think about it in a way that is decluttered and more simplified and within these lines but it's also very important to again acknowledge that those lines are fake and then deal with the, the reality that in order to live in order to interact with the world and with other people you have to be moving through all of these worlds at one time you write a lot in your in your music about you know the the plagues and problems that are facing humanity you know sometimes it's it's more poetic. Sometimes it's more explicit. Tell, tell me about how, how you see, you know, art being a way of, uh, for you of, of processing these, these ideas and, and ultimately, you know, striving for, for more equitable, equitable solutions. It started to become really clear that if I was going to be the person in the room who got to have the microphone and got to be the one talking everybody else has to shut up then i i, I had i bore responsibility to people who weren't in the room to 
express things that the people who are in the room need to hear about the world, what's going on. Um, and so while I, I still love writing about everything, um, I definitely feel a kind of imperative and responsibility to talk about things that matter, especially now there's so much going on that, that needs fixing and changing. And, um, and I think whether, whether people realize it or not, we really do look to artists to play a large role in defining the boundaries of what's imaginable. Mm. And like, it's like, well, you're, your job, you're a professional imagining person. You imagine things and then you tell them to us. And and then we think, oh, I never thought about that. Oh, that's such a cool idea. And so um yeah, I feel I feel a responsibility just in general as an artist to to imagine um better worlds and to tell the truth about um things that that seem to me um to, to, to need saying. Hound dogs on my trail, school children sitting in jail, black cat cross my path. I think every day's gonna be my last. Mercy on this land of mine We all gonna get it in due time I don't belong here I don't belong there I've even stopped believing in prayer Don't tell me, I'll tell you Me and my people just about do I've been there so I know You keep on saying Go slow But that's just the trouble Washing the windows Picking the cotton You're just plain rotten What you're saying actually really connects so much to one of the songs that you selected, which is Nina Simone's Mississippi Goddamn. And this live recording of the song, which I believe was recorded in 1964 at Carnegie Hall. As I understand the story behind it, it was it was written in response to the killing of Medgar Evers and, and the Bloody Sunday in Birmingham. Um, and the bombing, but, the church bombing. Yeah. And if I understand where this song fits in her history, that, you know, she she was getting really real with the way that she was seeing her role as an artist and an activist. Yeah. I wonder what this, how you, how you, when you hear this song and when you think about this, this figure of uh, an example of Nina Simone, uh, 
what do you what do you think of as an artist i mean you know first of all like just amazingly preternaturally talented um mm. beautiful songwriter beautiful pianist one of the most unique voices of all time i she's she's someone whose art i really really love there's something she talked about a lot about not feeling compelled to make music for everyone that is to say not feeling compelled to make music where the audience where the where the kind of imagined audience is human humankind in general humanity in general mm. but like writing to writing into a specific to a specific set of experiences and kind of speaking directly to the the concerns of some particular group of people while still obviously being aware of the fact that anyone can listen to it and that there's there are things that can be taken away from it for anybody i think especially in music making economy and industry that i came up in and coming up in um there is just incredible pressure to to not say something that might offend a brand or not say something that might mm. shrink your audience or not say something that and i'm not like i i want to be clear here because i've been talking in kind of generic terms about like acceptable speech and stuff like that i'm not talking about like saying bigoted hateful stuff at all um i i'm, I'm firmly against that but i also think that there are a lot of things that need to be said good right things that we avoid saying because they could make people who have power over us uncomfortable and um when i look around at at the world of music in particular and just how incredibly creative people are in their expression and then kind of look at the relative paucity of people saying things that we all know are true and that need to be said more um or advocating for people who who are always either left out of the conversation or are kind of just like the implicit um butt of the joke or the the implicit loser in in the game that everybody in the conversation has won mm. um I I kind of lament the the lack of of attention broadly being paid there and so again like I I want to I want to be able to write about anything uh, and and I want to be able to write love songs and songs about having a good time and and all those things as well but um it just feels it's it's like this is the least i can do like <laughs> yeah. in so many in so many ways my comfort my um my uh success such as it is my um my health my safety all these things are premised on the deprivation the the suffering the oppression of just so many people who i will almost certainly never meet and who mm -hmm easiest thing in the world to just never think about uh and I, I most of the time i'm not thinking about them um uh, and that's and that's a that's a shame um and so it feels like the least i can do the least anybody can do to devote just some measure of the 
of the the time we spend on a stage saying you know hey look at this important thing it just doesn't feel like enough to be like look at me look at me i'm so talented it feels like yeah. there has something else there i can see in the world through the dead man's eyes and when i laid me down laid me down i did not write but then i noticed that i've been watching myself from a car outside and so the thing around that took me down a long dark ride song james crow is actually very upbeat despite its association with obviously jim crow yeah so tell me about a little bit about what you're what you're trying to get at with with that song when i wrote that song i was thinking a lot about history and the kind of practiced unremembering of things in the united states there's a very there's a very specific practiced forgetfulness that the kind of popular imaginary in the United States has with regard, especially to um, atrocities that happened, quote unquote, a long time ago. And there's, mm -hmm. there's never a sufficient attention to, A, the fact that they didn't happen that long ago. Right. Um, they're living people, they're living people whose grandparents were enslaved, for example. Um, they're living people whose grandparents were were forced off their indigenous people forced off their land and and mm. and slaughtered. Uh that's this stuff is just not that long ago. But even more than that, obviously, the kind of systemic uh outgrowths of these massive, massive things. Um continue like the path the pa the thing that we're calling the past isn't even the past it's it's ongoing it's a it's a uh a, a singular kind of uninterrupted uh tragedy that just takes on different forms depending on the the, the historical and political reality of the, of the moment but i was thinking um the first line of the song is i've been i've been seeing the world through a dead man's eyes and um i was thinking I think when I wrote that line in particular, I was thinking about like the the invocation of like the founding fathers and the framers and their intent and all that and how mm, mm. gross I always feel those things are. Like mm. I was I was reading about Thomas Jefferson recently and um just some of the horrific things that he did to the people that he held in bondage. Um and and just how how wild it is to have somebody who's like on your money and 
cities are named after him and people invoke him as someone whose ideas we have to follow and it's like this person kidnapped and tortured and sexually assaulted people many of them children and we don't have to listen to what he thought like that in fact it's kind of weird that we do and it's weird that in a in a like in a again in polite company it would be completely unacceptable for me to say that even though like i'm the one who's being imposed upon like Mm. I'm I'm not the one who's who's being weird in this situation. I'm not the one who's play acting. I'm just saying yeah. the reality, as opposed to having to deal with the discomfort of acting like this isn't an unacceptable reality. Yeah. Um. And so the seeing the world through a dead man's eyes was kind of like a, an allusion to how enduring and constraining um it is to feel like you're constantly having to encounter and counter the perspectives of these people who were just horrific people um who were treated as though they they were heroic um but in terms of the like the kind of tonal mismatch between the song and its lyrics the inspiration for that was actually um watching these like black and white videos from you know the 30s 40s 50s even the early 60s of black performers um black musicians super super talented performing these like incredible timeless songs uh and then knowing you know and seeing because a lot of times they'll pan out across the audience oh this was happening in a segregated room like Mm. black people weren't allowed to be in this room unless they were the ones on stage singing um and when you watch those videos knowing that's what happened knowing that person probably had to come in through the back door or whatever yeah um it all takes on this extremely creepy feeling like the sing, like the smiling and the clapping audience and like the the person like singing and dancing their heart out up there it's all just very very creepy it's more of this like play acting thing that i'm talking about where there's this very clear very real real uh reality underlying the situation and then there's this artifice uh this kind of like socially acceptable um version of reality that gets play acted and so i wanted to write something that had within it that same tension of like i'm gonna get people to like sing this chorus out loudly yeah yeah Uh I was going to ask, I mean, what does it feel like being up on stage and seeing people like, I mean, it's very danceable. Like you can't help but get down you know, with that song. So what does that feel like watching people dancing, you know, with all these ideas in your head? It's very weird. It's very, I, I, knew, I knew it was going to be, I knew it was going to be weird. And it was kind of a social experiment, to be honest. But, um. But so my show includes like an audiovisual element. So I make video apart from the music videos. I make videos that I project behind me while I'm singing and and, oh, and, playing. and um, a lot of times they just like they just spell out what I'm saying. Like I, I'll say it poetically <laughs> but behind me. Uh-huh. Like they're literally literally words that are saying the thing that I'm saying. And when I was making the show, um, you know, I'm I'm based in Texas as a musician and I do a bunch of touring. Um, in lots of places where that is definitely um not 
not something that that you can just say anywhere. I, I definitely was like, okay, well, I just have to be ready to fight or whatever happens when I go out and play these songs because like people are going to freak out when I do this. Have you had an incident then? No. <laughs> Like no, they don't. They don't. Like people, the people who get it, the people yeah. who get it like it, and the people yeah. who don't, who wouldn't like it, don't get it. Which is just wild to me. But it's this, it's this lesson that I've learned a million times, and keep having to learn uh, as a musician and as a performer on stage in general. You know, in ordinary life, like in a conversation like this, I can just like move my hand like this or raise my eyebrow, and it means a lot because we're yeah. right here. Yeah. And then I get on stage and I'm going like this, you know, like I have to magnify the thing. This, this is the message. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I'm waving both hands in the air. And I think there's this, I think it's, I think it's deepened in, you know, over the last couple of decades as, as people are really like, honestly, probably overstimulated with all kinds of media, but there's this passivity with which, hmm. A lot of people, and it's not everybody, but with which a lot of people engage this stuff, where I know they don't get it because, like, so, so obviously there are people who get it and they come up to me and they're like, "Wow, that was that was really weird and uncomfortable." And I was like, "Yeah, it was." <laughs> and uh, and and you know, we talk about that, and it's it's cool. Like that's the that's the point. But then there are other people who will come up to me and they'll talk about it, and yeah. like they'll they'll ask me, "Oh, who's James Crow?" and and oh, oh. <laughs> I I thought they meant you. They you meant like they talk about it like like that was really cathartic. That you know no, dancing. No. Oh no, so, no. Some some people do that, but then then other people like this is a, again. This is how I know they don't get it. Oh uh, man, they just yeah, and it's just like I don't. It's like I I don't think I could have been artful, and said it more clearly. Like I think I think if I had said it any more explicitly like then it would have been a different thing and 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 maybe still a good thing but it wouldn't have been the thing i was trying to do yeah. um but yeah i i think i think the the moral of that story is like i think a lot of artists are very hesitant to talk about things like this and my what i would say is your leash is way longer than you imagine it is like mm. i've been extremely long <laughs> leash well, I mean, I mean, and you know, you see it when people like I've seen it on Twitter, for example, like Tom Morello will post something and then a bunch of people will be like, I used to love your music. And, and now you're you're saying <laughs> when like his band's called Rage Against the Machine. Like, yeah. what, did you, what do you think he was talking about? That yeah. What was there one episode where he was playing with Dancing with the uh, with the Stars or something? Like, <laughs> what, what, what could they possibly be pointing to? You know? I have no idea. I have That's no idea. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. But but I guess I, I wonder about that, like, because I'm sure you've also got a very mixed audience with the people that are coming to your shows. So so are there people that come up to you and, and say this was like a really cathartic experience for me to be oh, yeah, able yeah. be yeah. able to dance yeah. with Definitely. this? Definitely. This, and and, and just to hear it said like loudly and kind of I think when you experience life in the United States as as a person who is oppressed in some way and you know to varying degrees that's almost everybody but but especially for instance when you're dealing with like 
um, gender oppression or racialized oppression or something like right. that. Right. There is again coming back to this theme that we that I keep talking about of of the kind of the fiction that you have to maintain, the artifice that you have to maintain, where there are things that you know about the world and about yourself and that are really important to your self-concept and to your ability to to even survive. And then you have to pretend they're not real. Then there's this other thing that happens where people will kind of, and this is a positive good thing, but people will kind of defiantly um, and in an oppositional way, like affirm their reality. And I think yeah. that's all that's that's great and that has its place but then i think there's this third kind of thing that i personally find really cathartic and that a lot of people have told me they find really cathartic of just saying the true thing as though it's normal to say the true thing mm-hmm. and and not even acknowledging the people who would deny it and that's what i try to do when it comes to that stuff in my art and i think that i know that i find it really cathartic and that I think that a lot of the people who've talked to me, um, you know, kind of on the terms that you're alluding to have, have expressed a similar thing. The title of the series that uh, that I'm doing on this show, Soul Ladder Music, it actually comes from a line from the writings of the Baha'i Faith that says that God has made music as a ladder for our souls. And I'm curious for you, what does that image say to you? How does that how does that image come across to you? The idea of music being a ladder for our souls. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a very I think it's a, it's a lovely way of, of putting that idea. Um, you know, I, it's, it's, I think it's uncontroversial to assert that the thing that many people are looking for in, um, making art and many, 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 many more people are looking for in interacting with art is, uh, transcendence, Mm. uh, a way of, um, tapping into something experiencing something that is outside of and depending on how you theorize it above the the kind of um quotidian drudgery that fills most of our time um and so yeah i i i, I definitely think that um 
I think my my intervention on it would be something like um that it's a ladder that goes both ways um and by that i mean <laughs> there's you know in in quote unquote western thought in the kind of traditional western thought you know it's it's conventional to think of like the thing that you transcend to to be more intellectual more abstract more um kind of sublime with regards to um touching the, the these like more perfect worlds and ideas but i think that there's also a thing that music does that we would in this thought tradition i think wrongly talked talk about is like tapping into something more base tapping mm. into or quote-unquote primal or animal or whatever um but i think that you can see it like when you get a bunch of people together and then you play music loudly like yes they experience this transcendent like consciousness raising thing but their bodies also seem to become more aware that their bodies are animal bodies <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. so i would say the latter goes yeah. both ways that's interesting yeah when i when i talked to stick from dead prez he he landed on a similar idea so it's interesting to hear you articulate it in a, in a similar way yeah, yeah. You've got the just as we wrap up here. You've got this new collection out, demos and alternate view, versions of your music called uh, Work Tape, uh, that you're just releasing on cassette <laughs> and online. Yeah. Um, tell tell me a little bit about about uh, uh, putting that putting that out and the thought behind the format that you're doing it. Yeah. So you know, some of it was wanting to release some music this year as I'm in the midst of working on um an album that'll be out next year um mm. but i also just liked the idea of um kind of showing my work uh I, I think a lot of the way that art in general but especially music is consumed um there is like at least in this cultural context there is this fixation with um like hiding away the 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 conditions of the labor uh and and what goes into it um you know you want to you want to imagine that this is, it all happens in this flurry this beautiful flurry of activity and it's never boring and and touring is a non-stop party and blah 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 you know, when they're, of course, like just uh, even a moment's thought would, would suggest to you that it's, it's mostly boring and it's mostly, uh, <laughs> not particularly fun and, 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 and hard under these economic conditions and blah, 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 blah. So it felt like an opportunity to kind of, um, and the reason that I'm only releasing it on Bandcamp and on, um, on cassette is I wanted it to be a limited and intimate thing um mm. where for people who are you know plugged in enough to what i'm doing it, i'm giving them kind of a peek behind the curtain and uh a look into my creative process that i didn't you know when i was making these recordings i didn't think they would be public so it's kind of um it's kind of a voyeuristic thing as well but um 
yeah, just just wanting to I felt like an opportunity to have um, some vulnerability and, and intimacy with the people who are who are deeply engaged with the work that I'm doing and um, and also a way to to um, kind of bridge the gap until the the next big thing, which hopefully comes next year. Great. Well, I, I know I've enjoyed listening to, you know, the different remixes and versions of, of uh, different songs that you've put out. And so I'm really excited to dig into um, all these other versions as well and get to learn a little bit more about your process in the Thank process. Yeah. You. Yeah. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for all your deep reflections and uh, sharing your point of view in the world and uh, and giving some more insights into your beautiful music. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for making the climb with me this week on Soul Ladder Music. You can learn more about Mobley's music at MobleyWho.com. That's M-O-B-L-E-Y-W-H-O.com. His new record, Work Tape, is out now. I'll have all the songs from this episode in our show notes. And you can find all the episodes of our Soul Ladder Music series on any and all podcast platforms. Be sure to check out the Soul Ladder Music playlist on Spotify for music from all our shows. Thanks to Jeff Philosopher for providing our theme music. And keep tuning in to WOWD 94.3 FM, Tacoma Radio, for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at tacomaradio.org.